now with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved. Here is Dr. James Houck. Good afternoon, everybody, wherever you are in the world at this time. Welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity, finding one's courage to reclaim that which has always, always been in you. Well, welcome to Friday. Welcome to Black Friday. I hope that your Thanksgiving was well and uh, you are well. And uh, very excited to be with you here today, each and every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time, and any other time in between. Uh, now, each and every week, these broadcasts are dedicated to the integration of spirituality and our mental health, all within the context of our relationships with ourselves and others and God or the divine. I am Dr. James Houck, and if you would like more information about me or to leave me your comments about today's show, I invite you to visit my website. It is www.bbsradio.com backslash reclaiming authenticity. That's all one word there. So www.bbsradio.com backslash reclaiming authenticity. And just in case you might be out taking a break uh, from you know Black Friday shopping, you know, and uh, you're not able to spend the whole hour with me, uh, these broadcasts are now podcasted. In case you want to go back and listen again, or you can go back into the archives and listen to previous shows. And I just want to say on the uh, the outskirts here of the show that I wanted to thank everybody for their support over the past year and a half coming up on now. And would like to say that uh, you now have the opportunity to continue your support by becoming a monthly subscriber. Now, um, unlike other radio shows, that uh, there's a subscription required for the download of their archived um, uh, shows. A subscription is not required to listen to my talk shows, but it is greatly appreciated. So again, all you need to do is just go on the website and you'll see the banner where you click on subscriptions and then you can choose any amount that you feel comfortable giving. And again, thank you for that. Now, because I have a very solid belief that all of us, and I do mean all of us, come into the world already equipped and graced with everything that we need in this life in terms of our giftedness, our skills, our talents, our strengths, our character traits, and so forth. And how we live our giftedness is in and through various relationships. And I'm sure all of us can point out one, two, three, or more talents or skills that we have, or just a giftedness of the way we are with um, you know, people who are hurting, or how somebody can work with animals, or you know, somebody just has a gift to be able to walk into the most horrific situations, and they have this calming presence, or they run into burning uh, buildings where others are running out, whatever it is. Thank you for looking and taking seriously at your your gifts and your talents and your strengths and so forth. Okay, but this is just the beginning. 
because when we think about it, uh, we often receive our deepest physical and emotional and psychological, even spiritual wounds in relationships. And um, although we often go through, along through life and, um, you know, we are quite content with life, maybe we run into every now and again some unpleasant experiences. And herein lies the part two to what I, the point I was making, that we may tend to hide our giftedness. We may look at our skills and our talents and strengths and character traits, and we push them way down so that others cannot see them. Because if others see them, then perhaps they would exploit them or ridicule us or something. I've known people that uh, perhaps they were told that they would never amount to anything or whatever other voice they heard telling them that there was nothing special to them. And yet, and, and here's the irony that I love in this, that we can discover our greatest healing, our strength, our peace, our forgiveness, and love through healthier relationships. Because you see, these relationships just might be within our own families, co-workers, and friends. And think about yesterday. When you were spending, let's say, Thanksgiving dinner with your family and friends and so forth, how did it go? Any fighting? Any arguments? Were there things left over from, let's say, the 4th of July picnic or maybe the Labor Day picnic or last year at this time? Okay, because, again, we're in relationships with one another. Nobody is an island, to quote John Donne. But, um, you know, we are in relationships with one another. And these relationships where we could experience our deepest, you know, wounds and yet our greatest healing could be just in the relationships that we have with our own families or coworkers and friends. But the interesting thing is that whenever we find transformation, we also transform others by our presence, grace and understanding, because whenever we find our healing, we also are then concerned to reach out to others and to provide healing for them. But first and foremost, forgiveness, kindness, compassion begin with how we treat ourselves. Because it's true. When we're you know, simply more compassionate with ourselves, then we can be more compassionate with somebody else. And when we're able to forgive ourselves of, of whatever it is in our lives that we need to forgive ourselves for, then we find that our hearts can be more forgiving with another person. And when we're able to live in gratitude with ourselves and every lesson we learned and we look back in our, over our lives and we realize that the choices we made, the decisions we made and so forth have brought us to even this very moment of our lives, when we're able to rest in that and live in gratitude and say, okay, yeah, I could have done things differently. I maybe I should have done things differently, but I didn't, and here we are, you know. But by the grace of God, okay, and we are able to live in that gratitude with just our lives. You know, we then discover how this really opens up our hearts to see and live in gratitude with others. So, all in all, transformation first and foremost begins with us, but it does not end with us. Okay. Well, how is your heart today? I ask you this each and every week uh, because that's my main concern. Um, I am not the kind of doctor that's going to tell you to cut down on your cholesterol, although I'll 
share with you some of my dietary secrets, but uh, a medical doctor, I am not. But uh, I always want to look at a person's heart to see how they are doing metaphorically and, um, you know, from an emotional uh, standpoint as well. So regardless, I hope your heart is well today and I hope you are well. I hope that if you are struggling today, you'll be able to find rest and comfort and even the peace that you need. Well, in speaking of how and why, we may have pushed our giftedness way down inside of us so that others cannot see it and then find it and exploit it, or even believing those messages of being told we wouldn't never amount to anything, or again, whatever, whatever other voice we heard telling us that there's nothing special to us. Today's show focuses on the illusion of these negative beliefs that convince us to tie ourselves to self-loathing, self-defeating, and learned helplessness behaviors. And all we have to do is awaken to the truth that we are souls and untie the proverbial donkey and learn to walk in this gratitude of peace, love, and bliss. So before I tell you this story about a donkey and its owner, just a quick word about donkeys in general, okay? Um, I think donkeys are often the unsung hero of the animal kingdom. We kind of take them for granted. And I believe that, first of all, you know, donkeys are not so dumb as people think that they are. Um, now, let's if you want to talk, uh, you know, dumb creatures, let's just talk about sheep. Sheep are literally stupid, okay? But not donkeys. Donkeys have some smarts to them. All right. Uh, they've often been held in a very high esteem as more than just beasts of burdens. Uh, but they have been seen as the symbols of service. They've also been seen in you know, various allegories of suffering and peace and very humble creatures. And they are also associated with the theme of wisdom in various literature. And because of this theme, donkeys have been, you know, many characters and many stories because they have a way of holding up a proverbial mirror to, in order to teach us something about ourselves. Okay. Maybe one day I'll share about why, you know, sh uh, sheep are stupid, but sheep also hold that proverbial mirror up to us and, and have something to teach us about ourselves. But today is the day that we honor the donkey. Okay, so yes, in biblical times, let's say, um, kind of interesting, I did a little research on this, uh, the word donkey is mentioned 142 times just in the Bible, but only five times in the Quran. Okay, and elsewhere in, uh, you know, the Greco-Roman world or um, the Greek writings and so forth, um, you know, donkeys are mentioned quite frequently. Okay, and um, back in biblical times and so forth, many people rode on donkeys. Some people even had their own personal donkeys. You know, for for others, they had to go down to their friendly neighborhood enterprise or budget rental agencies and rent a donkey, all with the promise that you would return the animal in good working condition. Okay, and so kings also owned and rode on donkeys. And several people, uh, it has been recorded that they rode donkeys, but they also owned horses. Uh, 
Now, there are, um, you know, throughout the history books and so forth, and as I said, in biblical times, many folks will say that horses were only used in times of war. But um, there was also this custom out there that uh, so as not to draw attention to yourself, that you would ride a donkey whenever you know you were going traveling, but you didn't want to be discovered. And that even meant traveling behind enemy lines and so forth. So, well, in more recent stories, such as in the Winnie the Pooh books, Eeyore is a miserable, pessimistic donkey who spends his time wallowing around his riverbank, worrying and complaining. Now, I think it's interesting that the other character animals constantly look out for him and they try to brighten his mood. But even then, he tends to question their motives and express skepticism about their plans. You know, many times he just says, well, I don't know, it probably won't work, okay? Yeah, you, you've seen the movie, you've read the stories, okay? And as a result, he, he doesn't recognize or appreciate the effort that they actually put into helping him. But his pessimism is so extreme that it's often ridiculous. And let's say there's a little bit of a dark humor there that he complains that nobody cares about him, you know, you know, to knock over his house, you know, it's, it, but Eeyore is just the quintessential Debbie Downer, shall we say. But it's, uh, you know, through this character that the message comes through that people can't be wise or achieve happiness or even grow as individuals unless, like Pooh Bear, they learn to accept the world, they embrace their own weaknesses, and affirm their value and beauty in life. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into this other story here. So without further ado, let me share with you the story of the washerman and the donkey. <clears throat> well, once upon a time, there was a man who lived hundreds of years ago. And being a simple man, his occupation was that of a washerman. That's, that's just what people called him. And he was one who goes around and he collects people's dirty laundry and loads them on his donkey and takes the, the clothes down to the river and washes the laundry and lays them out, puts them on large rocks to dry. And then he folds the laundry and returns it to his customers later, much later in the day. Well, one day when he was collecting the laundry and taking it down to the river to wash them, he realized that he had forgotten the rope to which he would tie the donkey to a tree so that it would not run off while he was washing the laundry. And, and he was just so worked up about this. He was so beside himself because he would lose a whole day's wage if he had to go back home and get his rope. And he just didn't know what to do. He's like, just, I can't believe it. I, I just, what am I thinking? You know? And as he was standing there, not knowing what to do, a man walked by and asked him if he was all right. And the washerman explained the situation to this bystander, pretty much, about forgetting his rope so that he could not tie his donkey. Well, this other man smiled and said, oh, sir, don't worry. I have an idea. Why don't you just pretend to tie the donkey to this tree? Wait, wait a minute. What do you mean just pretend? 
yeah, that that's what I said. Just pretend, you know, go through the motions of tying your donkey to the tree. However, make sure he sees you do this. Well, as ridiculous as it sounded, the washerman did just that. He pretended to tie his donkey to the tree, making sure the donkey was watching him. Then he took his laundry down to the river and he began to wash it. And every now and then, you know, the washerman would look back over his shoulder at the tree just to see what the donkey was doing. And sure enough, the donkey was still there eating grass and acting as if it's tied to the tree, perfectly content. And when the washerman finished with his laundry for the day, he loaded up his donkey and he commanded the donkey to move. But the donkey did not move. In fact, it acted as if it had been tied to the tree all day long. And no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't get the donkey to move. Now, the washerman thought he was really in a bind now because he couldn't get his donkey to move. It's like, it's time to return the, the laundry to these people, but I, my, my donkey's not moving. So he runs into the town and he finds the man who told him to pretend tying the donkey to the tree in the first place. And he finds this man, and he now explains the situation that the donkey refuses to move because it thinks that it's still tied to the tree. And again, the man smiled and replied to the washerman that, well, there was just an easy solution to this. As just as he pretended to tie the donkey to the tree, now he needed to, to pretend to untie his donkey from the tree. Only make sure the donkey watches him when he does this. So the washerman goes back to the donkey and starts to pretend he's untying the, his donkey. And he made sure the donkey was watching him. Then with a stern voice, he commanded the donkey to move. And sure enough, he and the donkey started to walk back home. Well, on the surface, we might think to ourselves that the that this donkey in the story was just plain stupid, you know, being uh, being tricked into thinking that it was tied when actually it was not. Because when you think about it, all the washerman did was simply, you know, just go through the motions of tying and untying his donkey, which actually worked. Now, uh, I have many friends in India who have often used this story to demonstrate how their Vedanta scriptures say that this exemplifies classic human behavior. And they often use this story to illustrate just deeper um, meanings in, in the Vedas. And uh, they say, first of all, look, we think we are the body, the mind, and the intellect. And these things need to be nurtured. Or is it our duty to provide the desire and pampering of these things? And they would say, well, that's what humanity gets caught up in. Okay, it's just everything's external. Okay, And the man is working day and night to meet these kinds of needs. And he, he runs after various temptations. Um, and perhaps he thinks that if he doesn't nurture his body, this body, he will die. And so he has put restrictions around himself. And like the donkey, 
humanity thinks that it's in servitude or bondage. In other words, humanity just doesn't know that we're not the body, the mind, and the intellect. We're independent. You know, there's no restrictions on us, no bondages. And, and, and so even when this body dies, we will not die because we live on, because we are a soul. And uh, the Vedanta tells us, tells humanity that the body and the soul are not one. They're different. But yet we're so limited in our understanding that we are bound by what we see and feel and hear and taste and touch to the point where we think that's all there is. And so we, like the donkey, end up believing the illusion that we are limited or restricted simply because we're told by another that we are. Unfortunately, we take that on as our identity, and we end up acting accordingly, believing that this is as good as it's going to get. And I see quite a bit, you know, in in counseling people who uh, have just identified themselves with their problems or their illnesses or diseases and so forth. And they are just not aware of being more than what they have become so far in, in, in their life. So they often accept this distorted template that has been laid over top of their lives. And as a result, people tend to beat themselves up for making the same mistakes over and over again in their choices, in their relationships, and in their lives. And yet, in this story, the donkey that is free all the time thinks that it's tied. Well, similarly, on a metaphysical level, we who are souls believe we are tied to the body, that our soul is captive. And that seems to be what we would believe, uh, we would take that as concrete truth. You know, and at a physical level, we are bound to an endless desire to acquire things, such as, let's say, beauty, or spiritual experiences, or we want more knowledge, or we want more wealth and fame and success, as well as we want to enjoy those acquired objects. And and we also want to avoid negative things in our lives, such as bad relationships or financial problems or, or whatever it might be. And as a result, we believe that we have to find the key to our own prison. But that key, so to speak, is also misunderstood because we think, well, that just means uh, in order for me to get out of this prison of unhappiness, I just have to make more money, or I have to be free in other manners, or I have to find my passion, or my true love, or any other desire. But what if we are already free? What if there's no rope? What if there's no tree? What if the illusion of being in a prison is uh, an illusion? Now, I don't want to come across as one who minimizes another person's pain and problems and struggles by no means. But how might we be empowered if we saw ourselves as solutions to our problems simply by removing the layers of conditioning or we want to call them the imaginary ropes, 
that keep us tied to our problems? What keeps us bound in toxic relationships? What keeps us thinking and bound that there's nothing more to us because we've been told this all about ourselves for all of our lives? Well, maybe by looking at our lives more closely, examining our motives and looking at our assumptions and limited perspectives, we just might realize the first step towards lasting transformation is to acknowledge the illusion of oppression is all in our minds. In other words, we might be in a physical prison, but if we find our true nature, that we are eternal souls, then no amount of earthly limitation can convince us that we are limited, inadequate, or even restricted at that point. And as I mentioned a little while ago, my India friends um, and I have several great conversations, you know, and we just go back and forth on any topic. And um, my, my friends, they understand that people are already in a relationship with all things and, and all people, including God, but perhaps they just don't know it yet. And therefore, it's a matter of realizing that we are souls, and souls that are vast and formless. In fact, I've, I've talked with my friends, and we actually have interesting conversations about sin and ignorance. And whereas other people see sin as, you know, people, uh, let me back up, whereas others see sin as people, as being either bad or evil, they believe that people act out of their ignorance of who they are, and therefore they commit evil acts because they have not realized themselves and others as souls. And that's an interesting point. Like I said, we've had great conversations around this and other topics. And they'd say, think about it. Would a person commit these crimes if they realized that they were souls and they realized that what they were doing to others were also souls? And that basically, you know, when they hurt somebody else, it's actually hurting them. And I go, oh, so you mean we live in an echo? And I had to explain what an echo is, uh, that what we put out there is going to come back to us. And so it's like we, you know, I've said these great conversations that we've had, um, you know, we might speak a different language, but, you know, we have the, the similar understanding. So in, in Western spirituality, you know, the, the concept of sin, as you may or may not be aware of, often tells people that they're wrong or that they've done something wrong. And therefore, there's this need to eliminate the sin in order to be in a right relationship with God and others. Okay? And for us, but you know, regardless of religion, it's a matter of understanding how we live our lives with uh, superimposed notions or these distorted temples that all we are are bodies and minds. Now, I mean, yes, we have bodies and minds, but we believe wrongly that that's all there is to us. And that someday, hopefully, maybe sooner rather than later, we'll get to go to heaven. And I've even seen this in Christianity that people are, you know, they, they feel that they have been forgiven from, you know, by God. They, they accept Christ. They love Jesus. But yet they're afraid to walk in the newness of life because they still believe they're tied to the tree, so to speak. And when we realize this, when we realize this illusion and we're able to untie that donkey, 
shall we say. Um, I believe this is what it means to move into a higher spiritual dimensional relationship with God. You know, that we right now are contending to live in a three-dimensional world, but we are often so limited where all we have to do is to realize our freedom, and that relationship is enhanced. Because didn't Jesus once say that the kingdom of God is in you? Perhaps we haven't realized it yet. Perhaps we just don't know how to embrace it, let alone walk in the newness of that life and relationship. But what a difference it would make in our lives and the lives of humanity in general if we see the illusion for what it is, untie the limitations of the donkey mind, dissolve the ignorance of who we are, and walk in the freedom that has always been within. Well, I would really love to hear what's on your heart about this subject. So, again, if you would like to call in, this number is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And I'll be taking your calls after the break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. And I'm your host, Dr. James Houck. I'll be back with you in one minute. Welcome back. I am Dr. James Houck, and you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Again, um, just a word, of, a quick word about next week's show. I'm going to continue throughout the month of December by telling you stories that uh, really drive home the point of uh, we need to throw off this illusion as to what we've been told about ourselves with our limitations and everything else and really embrace the fact that we are vast, we are eternal, and that we are already in a relationship with God. And the reason I can say this is because I find it time and time again where God has certainly affirmed to us in many different ways that God already knew us before we were born, whatever that looked like. Okay, so um, I'll be telling you another story that uh, raises a question, and it's basically this. Is this true or is that true? It's uh, the story about a man who had a dream one night that was so real to him that when he woke from the dream and he began to question the validity of everything he saw and heard and touched and smelled and tasted, 
And little did he realize that whether one is awake or dreaming, you're the same person. Again, it's just a matter of dissolving the illusion that you are not. So tune in next Friday, December 3rd. All right, we're in the month of December coming up here. December 3rd for Which Way is Up? Discovering the Truth of Who We Are. Well, earlier in the show, I was talking about a story that's often used to demonstrate how a donkey that is free and free all the time thinks that it's tied, tied to this tree, simply because he saw his owner, you know, go through the motions of tying him to the tree. And similarly, on a metaphysical level, we who are souls believe that we are tied to the body and all those problems that come with it, that our, our soul is captive, and, it, it, and that seems to be the absolute truth, because we, that's all we know. And at a physical level, we are bound to an endless desire to acquire things, to rid ourselves from, well, there has to be more to life than, than what we already experience. And so it has to be found in beauty or spiritual experiences or knowledge or wealth or fame or success. Yet at the same time, we want to not only acquire those things, but we also want to enjoy those things that we have acquired, as well as avoid the negative things in our lives, such as, you know, let's say, bad relationships or financial problems or, or any other problems. And as a result, as I mentioned, that we believe we have to find a key to our prison, so to speak. And if we could only find that key, if we can only find that one thing, we can unlock the door and walk through. And for many, many people, they believe that this key is simply, well, I just need to make more money, or I need to be free so I can travel, or I just need more passion in my life, or I need to find my one true love, or, or any other desire. Well, what if we're already free? You know, what if we, you know, imagine that, you know, that there is no prison, that let's say, you know, just create this analogy that, okay, there is the prison, and let's say the prison door is open, but every time we get close to the door, we want to we want to slam, slam it shut, and we want to stay locked inside, okay? And, and again, I don't want to come across as insensitive to anybody's problems, you know, because there are tremendous amounts of pain out in the world, but how many times have we been encouraged about solving our own problems by removing the layers of how we've been conditioned over our lives that tell us to simply identify with the problems that tie us emotionally to our problems. Okay. Um, you know, but maybe looking at ourselves more closely and we go deeper with that and we just, we not only look at the pain and the suffering that we've gone through or maybe even going through right now, but we take time out and we examine our motives and we take a long, hard look at our assumptions and we, we discover that we don't, we have our own perspectives, but there's so much more to that because really what keeps us bound in toxic relationships What's, what keeps us thinking that there's nothing more to us simply because we are told, you know, we've been told this about ourselves all of our lives. And, and herein lies a great lesson 
a great lesson to be learned regarding recognizing who we are as souls. I mean, on this level, there are illusions that have been superimposed that we all are just a particular body with a set of feelings and thoughts and and taking in the external world around us by our senses, you know, by what we see and hear and feel and taste and touch, okay? And, uh, you know, to be quite honest, ours, uh, you know, is a world whereby we are familiar with superimposed images all the time with these templates. But uh, my friends in India like to use the words uh, superimposition. And uh, pretty much that just means to superimpose, uh, means to place or lay over or above something on another image. And this is a a term, if there's any photographers out there in in the uh, studio audience today, I'm sure you are familiar with this term. And you may even use this technique all the time. It's just just fascinating to the eyes where you see two images, but one tends to be clearer than the other. And um, even in music recordings, I think, you know, they wouldn't use the term superimpose, but I believe it's called overdubbing which is also known as layering, in which it's a technique used, um, you know, in which audio tracks that have been pre-recorded are then played back and incorporated into another track. Okay, again, this is done all the time. So, when we believe that there is nothing more to us than a body and a mind or um, that we define ourselves according to our wounds and scars and experiences, what we're doing is we're actually reinforcing this template or this superimposition of this illusion. Now, removing this illusion, okay, and realizing the underlying reality is called de-superimposition, okay? And this is what I mean by this. You know, you've, I've shared this story many times <laughs> on these Fridays, uh, but one of my favorite stories is just simply entitled looking for the butter in every bowl of milk. Now, if you've never heard that before, it may seem a little strange, you know, for the title of a story. But again, when we think about it, uh, that whenever you go to the grocery store, most people have on their list, like, I have to buy milk and butter and cheese. And, of course, there's other dairy products such as yogurt, cottage cheese, and so forth. Okay, I get that. But have you ever really stopped and taken a closer look at a glass of milk. Have you? Well, as you're looking at that glass of milk, are you able to see the butter and the cheese that's already in there? I mean, it's true. That's no big secret. It's not rocket science because butter and cheese does exist in milk. But where is it? We can't perceive it. But it's present everywhere in milk, in each and every drop, in each and every glass. There's no particle of milk where butter or, let's say, ghee or cheese doesn't exist. And this is a great analogy for how we're able to see God and the potential in ourselves and others in everyday life. Oh, it may not be present right away, but it's there. We may not be able to see God right away in all things, but God is there. 
And, you know, little did I realize that after hearing this story of looking for the butter in every bowl of milk, the first time I heard that story, just how important it is to understand that the presence of God or the divine can be seen in everyone, especially in ourselves, in everyday life. You know, on the surface, we we might find this teaching difficult, because whenever we do look at ourselves or when we look at others, all we see is there's just so much physical pain or there's just so much emotional wounds or psychological suffering, and there's expressions of anger and violence and lust and jealousy and brokenness and so on and so on. But can we also see the potential for God's presence to transform these wounds into a life-giving means of creating the healing we truly want to see in this world? So, in other words, can we see the potential for the milk to be transformed into butter? And let alone, how can we then transform dimensions of higher spiritual awareness and a deeper relationship with God? I mean, just, do we see that kind of potential in us? Do we see ourselves as more than just the body? Do we see ourselves as souls which are limitless and vast? And yet, and let's be honest here, how many times do we often struggle with seeing God in this world because we're unwilling you know, to shift our focus? Or maybe we're just too busy to quiet ourselves to listen for God's still small voice. Or, and let's take this one step further, how many times do we wrongly assume that in order to see God, we have to first make God conform to our vision? our philosophy, our worldview, our prayers. In other words, if if God really wants a relationship with me, then it's going to have to be on my terms. And again, this is not the case. It's one of those illusions that we tie ourselves to. But you see, God is, is simply not the genie in Aladdin's lamp. I mean, we don't obtain these, you know, things and this relationship with God simply by rubbing the spiritual lamp, hoping to get three wishes. So how do we see God more clearly? And and how do we, let's say, fall in love with God more dearly? And how do we follow God more closely each day? Well, let me just toss this idea out for you to chew on this week, Okay. Perhaps before we ask the question, how do we do these things, maybe a better question would be for us to first understand from where inside the soul do these desires come from? Okay, Perhaps the desire to see and to love and to follow God actually comes from a deep place in us that words cannot express. See, as we, as we heal from our, let's say, our psychological, emotional, physical, spiritual wounds, we are going to begin to look at ourselves and others differently. It's inevitable, okay? Because just as hurt people hurt people, healed people heal people. And this is a very good beginning. However, when we are able to see what we are truly made of, that is, light, 
soul, and so forth, we begin to understand the true meaning of, let's say, seeing the butter and the cheese in the glass of milk. Whenever we begin to understand who we truly are, then the illusion of why am I acting as if I'm tied to my problems? Why am I acting as if somebody has tied me to this tree and I, I can't move because, well, I think I can't. Okay. It, it may not be there at first glance, but as we develop our relationship with God or the divine, as I said, we're going to heal from our, our woundedness. And yet, here's the irony in all of this, that when we are truly able to see ourselves as souls, and, and ultimately when we are then able to realize ourselves as soul and to begin to see others as souls, okay, we're no longer willing to accept relating to people as anything less than them also being souls. Are we going to do anything to, to, you know, through our actions or our attitudes or how we talk to people to make them think that they're still tied to that proverbial tree? If we recognized our own freedom, wouldn't we want that for somebody else? If we recognize that, hey, we are souls, we are eternal, wouldn't we want that for somebody else as well? and not let them settle for anything less. I mean, how many times do we hear and, and see people calling for an end to violence and crime and poverty? And, and these are, are great. But interestingly, humanity has always struggled with these issues. I mean, just, just pick a century, okay? It's, these problems have always been there. But perhaps humanity has never looked for the answers in the right places. And all too often has the focus been on the externals that has often caused such division in humanity since the beginning of time. And it's the external externals that have produced, let's say, the isms of the world. You know, things such as sexism, racism, ageism, classism egoism, and so forth. But when we focus on the soul of the person, the soul of another, all these isms fall away. They simply cannot follow the language of the soul because the soul is always found by looking inward, looking past the externals. And when we can do this, there is no more sexism there's no more racism, no more ageism, no more egoisms, because isms do not have a voice when it comes to matters of the soul. We're all beautiful souls made in the image of God. We're all filled with inherent value and dignity and worth. And yet, we may struggle to accept this truth because our attention is often diverted to focus solely on outward appearances and behaviors. There's the illusion again, okay? In other words, we all live with some degree of ignorance of our soul's consciousness. We, we may get glimpses of it, but we just may never fully uh, you know, attain the extent of it. Because, again, being tied to the physical, emotional, psychological issues that cloud our vision of who we truly are. 
And okay, yes, diseases and illnesses do afflict the body. We feel physical and emotional pain with so much intensity at times, we believe that we're never going to get through it. And at times, our lungs may struggle to take a breath, or hunger and diseases cause our stomach and intestines and bones and muscles and blood to scream in agony. And it just might be these experiences that make us question whether or not we are the soul whom God has created. And yet, this illusion, again, lies not in the suffering, pain, and agony we experience, but rather, it's in our perception that there is nothing more to us than an emotional, intellectual, physical body. Indeed, physical and emotional you know, pain and suffering can temporarily drown out the cry of our soul, but our soul is never silenced. Furthermore, the truth is that the greatest strength of who we are as souls lies in our ability then to transform and transcend the physical emotional, and psychological limitations. And for as much as history has shown us the horrific crimes that humanity does to itself, there are just as many stories out there of how humanity rises above such tragedies to heal and reclaim the soul. I mean, everything. That is, humanity, animals, vegetation, minerals, elements, land, water, thunder, fire, wind, sun, moon, stars, are connected to one another and affects one another. And again, let's be honest, for, for way, way, way too long, humanity has, has always been influenced by the what's-in-it-for-me scenario, but we don't realize how connected we are to all things. And as much as we can become enthralled by our, our gifts and our graces that I mentioned at the beginning of this program, we have to remember that it, our talents, our skills, our blessings, our knowledge and wisdom are not necessarily for ourselves. You know, these gifts are meant to benefit somebody else. They're meant to be given away. They're meant to be shared. And therefore, reclaiming our authenticity really compels us now to ask Okay, I'm awakened soul. Now what? How then can I serve humanity? How then can I alleviate suffering? How can I speak up for those who do not have a voice? And really, this is what authenticity is, is really all about. Some might even say that they're content being who they are. But I think we really need to ask ourselves time and time again as you know, am I being authentic today? Am I being honest and genuine in my relationships? And, you know, again, why are, why do we think we need to wait till we retire, whenever that will be, okay, to do what we've always dreamed of doing? And what are we waiting for? I mean, if we're kind of hoping that one day we'll have all our bills paid or have enough money in the bank, and okay, that's, I, I think for a lot of us, it's going to be a long, long wait. But too many people play the I'll get around to it someday game when the, the most vulnerable among us and the wounded people among us are in need right now. And such hurting people need others to see in them the potential for them to live authentically, including the benefit of reclaiming 
their authenticity and reclaiming their own gifts that they've come into the world with. Perhaps people might believe that they have too much to lose to be authentic. It's just like, no, I can't do that. What would somebody say? What, what would my neighbors say? Perhaps they don't know or, or fear that, that people will not accept them as they are. I, I can't be real with somebody. That's just too much of a risk. And perhaps, you know, they, they have a fear of rejection and ridicule and shame and or being ostracized or shunned because, well, that's happened in the past. I don't want to risk it again. And yet, we live in a time when, as we focus on the virtue of stewardship, the one gift that we need to foster and treasure is the gift of ourself, our inner life, and our spirit of resiliency. There is great value in reclaiming our authenticity because we find that inner freedom and a strength, a peace and assurance of who we are without giving away our uniqueness, playing by somebody else's rules and definitions and expectations. Again, this is the illusion that keeps us tied to the tree. For some, you know, finding that inner strength to stand on their own two feet empowers them to reach out for better relationships or better jobs or to speak up for, for justice. And indeed, those who are authentic often find God's blessings. I know. I have talked to them. And I believe this is where the next great spiritual awakening is coming from. I truly believe that. Finding the strength to reclaim our authenticity. Finding the strength to realize this illusion that it's our fears and it's our over-identification with the externals in our lives that keep us bound to the tree. But whenever we're able to dissolve that and realize that we have been free all along, why, why are we acting as if we're limited or tied or bound? Because whenever we realize ourselves as soul, that is vast, that is powerful. Therein lies the healing. Yeah. Love is more than romance. Love is a force. Love is a force for transformation. And the beauty of it is that it's based on one relationship after another. Because once we reach out to somebody and we transform their lives with, say, understanding or forgiveness or gratitude or love, that person gets a hold of it. They're never going to be able to go back to who they were. It's that kind of transformation. Well, I'm Dr. James Houck, and you have been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Thank you again for spending this hour with me. If uh, for some reason you uh, weren't able to um, you know, stay with me the whole time and you had to go in and out of the broadcast, you can always go to the website and uh, you'll be able to hear the full, um, the full show once it's downloaded. Okay, so until next week when we meet again, same time, but this time on December 3rd, um, everybody be safe out there, be well, and of course, uh, behave yourselves. Take care. Bye-bye. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments, or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Hauk, it's all there. Just wander on over to reclaimingauthenticity.com and click around.
And we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific time on PBS Radio TV.